Hey, everybody. It's Monday, November 14th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwinunu. This is the place where we bring you just the facts from verified sources and a breakdown of what matters in the news. I try to read all the news so you don't have to. Here's a look at what we'll have for you on this Monday. The Senate went blue over the weekend. Democrats will be in control of the U.S. Senate for another two years. That comes as the House is still up in the air with a number of races too close to call. And former President Trump gets set to announce his latest run for president tomorrow. We'll have the latest on the story of FTX, the crypto exchange that was worth $33 billion earlier this month and is now worth zero. Ukrainians are celebrating the departure of the Russian military from one of their major cities. There are some wedding bells for a couple presidential family members I'll tell you about. And the Black Panther sequel has made a huge splash at the box office this weekend. Let's start with the latest political news. We're nearly a week from midterms, and we're starting to finally get a better sense of who will control the next Congress. Over the weekend, we learned that Nevada Senator Catherine Cortez Masto successfully defended her seat for a second term. That means Democrats will hold at least 50 seats in the U.S. Senate. Republicans currently have 49. That means that Democrats will control the U.S. Senate for another two years at least. And that is even without the Georgia runoff set for next month, since Democrats only need 50 seats, even in a 50-50 Senate, because they have Vice President Harris as a tiebreaker for the next couple of years. Democratic leaders celebrated over the weekend. Uh, It is a pretty significant thing to be able to hold the U.S. Senate. And as I mentioned, that comes without that key Georgia seat. That runoff is set for December 6th. Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock is defending his seat against Republican Herschel Walker. And the big question there will be who is incentivized to turn out with control of the Senate already locked. Republicans will try to convince their voters to come out, saying that uh, 50-50 is still significant, that having another Republican in the Senate is important. At the same time, Democrats will try to convince their voters in Georgia that 51 seats actually matters more than 50 seats. It'll mean less influence for folks like Joe Manchin. It'll also mean that Democrats don't have to be unified with all 50 senators on every issue, including perfect attendance. There actually were a number of cases in the past two years where a uh, Democrat was out or not available for a vote, which meant because things are 50-50, they couldn't hold those votes. So 51 gives them a little extra room. It also gives them more power on committees. They don't have to share responsibility with Republicans. Uh, They can more efficiently pass things. And that's the case Democrats will be making over the course of the next couple of weeks in Georgia. Keeping the Senate was considered a challenge, though it was a slightly easier task than the House. Back in 2018, you might remember that Republicans were able to actually pick up seats in the Senate. That came as Democrats actually gained 40 seats in the House that cycle. So what does it mean that Democrats held the Senate? Well, it makes Joe Biden's job a little easier for the next two years in terms of approving judges. That's a responsibility of the U.S. Senate. So far, Biden's been at a pretty brisk pace in terms of getting his judges through. He's at 84 judges in his first two years or just under his first two years, which beats the pace of Obama, Bush 43, Bush 41, and Reagan. It's pretty much on par with what Trump was doing in his first two years. So this now means that Biden will be able to continue to push through judges at the uh, circuit appellate. And if an opening is on the Supreme Court, push one through there. It also means that Biden will have an easier time pushing through executive branch nominees, say he needs to replace a treasury secretary or someone in his cabinet. It also means that he won't have to deal with many investigations from the U.S. Senate, at least. Senator Ron Johnson, the Republican from Wisconsin, for instance, was preparing a high-profile hearing about Hunter Biden. Other Republicans were looking to look into Afghanistan. That will not happen now that Democrats have control of the chamber. Over the weekend, former President Trump blamed the loss in the Senate on Mitch McConnell, the Republican leader in the Senate. By the way, that comes as Trump is prepared to make his big announcement tomorrow night. 
for president. It will be his third straight run, 2016, 2020, and now 2024. Uh, In blaming McConnell over the weekend, Trump said, quote, it's Mitch McConnell's fault. He blew the midterms and everyone despises him. Trump there clearly is responding to criticism of his candidates, uh, Dr. Oz, uh, Blake Masters in Arizona, a number of candidates who lost uh, and a number of Republicans are now pointing the finger at Trump for the big losses in the midterms. Meanwhile, we're still watching the U.S. House, the other body of Congress. Uh, The numbers are very, very close. There's about a dozen seats pending. Vote counting has been pretty slow in California, Oregon, and Nevada. The latest projections would be a pretty remarkable thing. Right now, NBC is projecting 219 Republicans, 216 Democrats, just a three-vote majority. It's pretty ungovernable. Uh, I mentioned in the Senate, they need perfect attendance to get things through. Can you imagine uh, whoever leads the Republicans in the House should they achieve the majority? And by the way, there's still a chance Democrats could take a majority uh, in the House, but it's looking much more likely like a very slim Republican majority where a, a Republican speaker presumably Kevin McCarthy, who's uh, in line for it right now, would have to ensure that all 219 Republican members of Congress are all uh, ready to vote on something. It does actually mean that outliers, that individual uh, Congress people, everyone in his constituency, including people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, would literally have a say in every piece of legislation, and he would have to try to make them all happy to get things through. Also keep in mind that there are typically absences from the House. In some cases, uh, you have some deaths, etc. So there actually has never been a time in the past few Congresses where every single seat has been filled. It'll make for a very fascinating watch over the next couple of years. Before we leave politics here, a couple of races we're still watching. The L.A. mayor's race is razor thin. Karen Bass currently leads Rick Caruso. He's the billionaire kind of coming at her from the center right. There's still another 250,000 votes to count in L.A. Meanwhile, the Arizona governor's race is also up in the air. Right now, the Democrat Katie Hobbs leads very narrowly over Republican Carrie Lake. We're keeping tabs on that. That might take a couple more days as well to find out the final result. All right. There was one huge business story I was watching over the weekend. It's probably the most fascinating story outside of politics right now. It is the downfall of the crypto exchange FTX. FTX until recently was one of the largest crypto exchanges in the world. A crypto exchange is where you effectively could trade digital currencies. Uh, you could buy and sell things like Bitcoin, etc. The exchange is headquartered in the Bahamas, and it was run by 30-year-old billionaire Sam Bankman-Fried, who I'll tell you more about in this story. For those of you in South Florida, you might recognize FTX. It's the name of the Miami Heat Arena. The company actually bought the naming rights for the arena in recent years. Uh, After the financial fiasco I'm about to tell you about, those naming rights are now up in the air for someone uh, interested. So here is what happened. FTX, until recently, was valued at about $33 billion dollars. A report, though, came out last week on the website Coindesk. They cover a lot of things in the crypto world that found that, among other things, FTX was not backing up investor assets one to one, meaning if a whole bunch of people tried to pull out money, they wouldn't have enough money available to pay people out. We also learned in those recent reports that Alameda Research, which is a private firm owned by Sam Bankman-Fried, had its finances intertwined with FTX. In traditional finance, this wouldn't have been allowed. Uh, essentially, crypto is less regulated, which allowed Bankman-Fried to mix uh, numbers and money between the FTX exchange and his own private firm, Alameda. That private company also held a major amount of FTT, which is the trading token used on the FTX platform, and he effectively was borrowing against the coin for other investments. Long story short, the translation here is this was a big house of cards. 
So as things started to come apart last week, Bankman Freed was talking to another crypto exchange, Binance, about buying FTX out, effectively bailing it out, similar to what we saw in the traditional banks back in 08, where you saw like a Bank of America buy Merrill Lynch. And so Binance looked at FTX, was ready to buy them out. But once they really took a look at the books, they said, actually, this is really messed up. We're out. We're not getting involved in this. And so that essentially left Bankman Freed and FTX with nowhere to turn. And so in a space of just a few days, the 30-year-old lost a $17 billion fortune. And the company, which was worth $33 billion, is effectively bankrupt. The terrible headlines led to a bunch of investors trying to pull out nearly $5 billion of their cash out of FTX. That run came to an end on Tuesday morning when FTX actually blocked further withdrawals in trying to remain solvent. Bloomberg News has called Bankman Freed's collapse the biggest one-day collapse of personal wealth in history. And over the weekend, we learned about some investigations now happening into this collapse by the SEC uh, and the Department of Justice. FTX's lawyer said the company is investigating abnormalities with wallet movements related to FTX balances going to other places. Reuters reported on Saturday that at least $266 million had been withdrawn from FTX in 24 hours and that Bankman Freed may have secretly transferred $10 billion in customer funds over to his private firm, Alameda Research. By the way, that private firm, it's run by his girlfriend. Reuters was able to reach Bankman Freed, who says he's still in the Bahamas, despite some rumors that he might have gone to South America. He said he disagreed with the characterization that there was a secret transfer of $10 billion to his private hedge fund. He said, quote, in the text message to Reuters, we didn't secretly transfer it. We had a confusing internal labeling and misread it. He didn't elaborate on what that means. I got a number of questions from several of you over on the Instagram news account over the weekend about prosecution. Could Bankman Freed face prosecution here, especially as there were rumors that he might be trying to escape uh, to South America? One thing to keep in note, there were rumors he was going to Argentina. Argentina does have an extradition treaty with the U.S., which means he would be returned here for prosecution. He lives in the Bahamas, which also has an extradition treaty with the U.S., The larger question is, though, will the U.S. have jurisdiction, given that FTX is offshore, it is based in the Bahamas, and doesn't specifically cater to Americans? That's something his defense lawyers could argue, uh, which would put him beyond the reach of U.S. law enforcement, though prosecutors historically have been able to find a U.S. nexus in some cases. In the FTX case, it was involved with a lot of U.S. banks. There's a lot of emails between Americans and Bankman Freed uh, meeting stateside, etc., The other major question in regards to prosecution is whether they will be able to confirm intent by Bankman Freed, specifically any conviction of the uh, 30-year-old billionaire, maybe now former billionaire, Bankman Freed down the road would turn simply on whether he deliberately deceived investors or is simply incompetent. This is something we saw in the Theranos Elizabeth Holmes case, where she tried to claim incompetence and ignorance as opposed to deliberately trying to deceive people. Before I leave the story, there's one other major compelling element here. You might recognize the name Bankman Freed. I've been telling you about him recently because he's become a major force in democratic politics. He actually ranked as the second largest individual donor in the midterm election cycle. He actually donated just under $40 million to Democrats. That ranks only behind George Soros, the other major liberal billionaire who gave about $128 million this cycle. But at $40 million, Bankman Freed actually donated more than Michael Bloomberg this cycle. Bloomberg donated about $28 million. Bankman Freed had actually promised to be donating billions to Democrats in future cycles. So there'll be a lot of questions there, including to the fact that Bankman Freed actually was a donor to Biden's presidential campaign back in 2020. 
There are no allegations at this point of any illegality, but just kind of an icky feeling that you took money from somebody who literally ran their company into the ground. By the way, I should note, this is not just Democrats implicated here. One of Bankman-Fried's chief lieutenants at FTX until recently, a guy named Ryan Salome, gave just about $24 million of his money to Republicans this cycle. That's actually on par and at pace with uh, really rich billionaires like Steve Schwartzman and Peter Thiel. I will keep you up to date on this FTX story. It really is a, a made-for-TV movie. One thing that came out over the weekend, by the way, in the newsletter, The Ankler, is that Michael Lewis, the uh, famous business writer, incidentally has been spending the last six months tracking Bankman-Fried for a book. I can imagine he has some pretty remarkable material from his six months with this kid. Okay, I got a lot of news ahead for you on this podcast, but I want to take a quick break here to tell you about our sponsor this week, Athletic Greens. I recently started taking their AG1 supplement and wanted to share my experience with you. Trying to get all your vitamins in can be hard to keep track of, can get pricey. You know, as you age, uh, you continue to go to the doctor and you find out you got a shortage of this vitamin or that vitamin. So I was previously taking some vitamins with breakfast, with lunch, with dinner, this one with food, this one without food. And it was hard to keep track of. And so I started taking the AG1 supplement, just one scoop of the powder with a glass of water in the morning and that's it easy simple and affordable the ag1 powder contains over 75 important ingredients including tons of vitamins and minerals in addition ag1 has pre and probiotics to support your gut health all of this really combines to help you build a strong immune system especially as we're now in cold and flu season it's essentially your nutritional insurance policy and here is some great news with your first purchase athletic greens is giving mo news listeners a free one-year supply of their immune supporting vitamin d as well as five free travel packs of ag1 Visit athleticgreens.com backslash monews, M-O-N-E-W-S, to learn more about all that AG1 can do for your health and take advantage of this offer. You can get a discounted monthly subscription or try it one time for just a month. Again, it's athleticgreens.com backslash monews, M-O-N-E-W-S, to take ownership of your health. All right, as we head into warmer weather across much of the U.S. in the coming months, one way to stay cool and continue to get a good night's sleep is by checking out Bull and Branch Bedding and Sheets. They're a brand that we love here at Mo News. We only endorse products that we love. And we've been using Bull and Branch for more than two years now in our home. The sheets have been great, soft, breathable fabric that works for both cold and warm weather. We noticed the quality immediately and have gotten a few different sets in our house. I know Jill has as well. They're made with 100% organic cotton, completely free from toxins. I know that is very important to a number of you. And it's not just sheets. They have blankets, duvets, pillows, a whole variety of products to ensure you get a good night's sleep. And right now, they have a great deal for the Mo News community. Go check them out. I promise you will not be disappointed. Again, they get softer with every wash. So the deal right now is 15% off your order when you use the promo code MONEWS over at bullandbranch.com. That is bullandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. Promo code MONEWS for 15% off. Exclusions do apply. See site for details. Okay, let's head abroad here for these next couple stories. Over in Istanbul, we're tracking a deadly explosion in Turkey over the weekend. A bomb exploded in the middle of a bustling pedestrian avenue in the heart of Istanbul on Sunday, killing six people. It also wounded several dozen and left people fleeing the scene, huddling in cafes and shops. The explosion took place along Istiklal Avenue. It is a popular thoroughfare. If you've been to Istanbul, you've probably been there. Shops, restaurants, it leads to the iconic Taksim Square. The Turkish president, Tayyip Erdogan, called the blast a treacherous attack 
said its perpetrators would be punished, and he said it had, quote, the smell of terror. It's been pretty peaceful in Turkey for the last couple of years. The explosion was a reminder, though, of the anxiety and safety concerns that did exist in the country. Just a few years ago, the country was hit by a string of deadly bombings between 2015 and 2017. Typically, the culprits there were either ISIS or Kurdish militants who are seeking increased autonomy or independence in the country. Meanwhile, just north of Turkey in Ukraine, residents of the city of Kherson held celebrations over the weekend to commemorate the end of eight months of Russian occupation. Scores of people flooded into the central square of Kursan on Saturday afternoon, less than 24 hours after the last Russian soldiers finally fled across the river, surrendering this key regional capital. For just over eight months, residents in the city have been living under brutal Russian occupation. On Friday, though, Ukrainian forces were able to sweep through as Russian troops have been retreating to the east. It is a major setback for Putin's war effort as the war turns nine months, if you can believe that, next week. Many residents who are left in the city were celebrating, greeting the Ukrainian soldiers as liberators. But this major city has been left destroyed. No water, little food, no internet connection, little power, and completely destroyed infrastructure. To give you some context here, prior to the war, about 300,000 people lived in Kherson, which is about the size of Orlando, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, if you can imagine, just a city like that completely destroyed after eight months of occupation. One Ukrainian official is describing the situation in Kherson as a, quote, humanitarian catastrophe. Still, the mood was euphoric as the soldiers entered on Saturday. Uh, people uh, singing the Ukrainian national anthem, shouting Slava Ukraini, uh, glory to Ukraine. One resident who went by the name of Olga over the weekend told CNN, quote, we feel free. We are not slaves. We are Ukrainians. Here at home, an investigation is underway in Dallas after a midair crash of two historic military planes during an air show left six people dead. A National Transportation Safety Board official investigating the cause of the tragic accident said one of the key questions they will be asking is why the aircraft were seemingly sharing the same space and altitude just before impact. The World War II-era bomber and a fighter plane collided and crashed to the ground in a ball of flames at the Wings Over Dallas show over the weekend. It left wreckage in a grassy area inside the Dallas Executive Airport, which is about 10 miles from downtown. There were a number of videos posted on social media showing the fighter plane flying into the bomber. Authorities are continuing their work to identify the victims. Dallas Fire Rescue said there were no reports of any injuries on the ground. This crash comes three years after another crash of a classic-era bomber in Connecticut that killed seven. There has been ongoing concern about the safety of air shows like these involving older warplanes. The company that owned the planes flying in the Wing Over Dallas show has had other crashes over its 60-year history. Okay, now to a bit of positive news. Both the Bidens and Trumps, in a matter of eight days, will be celebrating big family weddings. First, over the weekend, former President Trump's daughter, Tiffany, got married to her longtime boyfriend, Michael Bulos, on Saturday. The ceremony and festivities took place at the family's Mar-a-Lago Resort down there in South Florida. Tiffany, who is 29, is Trump's fourth of five children. She was his only child from his second marriage with actress Marla Maples. They were married back in the mid-90s between his marriages to Ivana and Melania. Bulos is 25. He's the son of a wealthy Lebanese family with businesses in Nigeria and some other places. Tiffany Trump, who is a law school grad, and Michael Bulos, who's working with his family business, began dating back in 2018 after they incidentally met at Lindsay Lohan's club in Mykonos, Greece. They eventually got engaged in 2021. 
And this is not the only presidential family wedding news we'll be following this week. Next weekend, Naomi Biden, she's the eldest granddaughter of President Biden and the oldest of Hunter Biden's five children, will be getting married in a ceremony on the White House soft lawn. Naomi, who's 28 and is an attorney, will be marrying a fellow lawyer, Peter Neal, who is 25 years old. They were set up four years ago in New York City and have been dating ever since. A notable coincidence here, Naomi Biden and Tiffany Trump are, were actually uh, undergrads together at the University of Pennsylvania. They knew each other there. They then both went on to law school. They both got engaged at the same time in early 2021 and are now marrying one week apart. Several of you were asking about the history of White House weddings. I, I put up several slides on my Instagram account at Moshe at M-O-S-H-E-H. Uh, her wedding will actually be the 19th wedding in White House history over 200 years. She is the first presidential family member to get married at the White House since 1994. That's when Hillary Clinton's brother got married in a White House ceremony. Prior to that, the most recent presidential family weddings that took place uh, at the White House happened in the 60s and 70s. The daughters of uh, LBJ and then later the daughter of President Nixon both got married at ceremonies at the executive mansion. One bit of trivia for you to throw around later today. There was actually one president who came into the White House as a bachelor and left married uh, and he's the only president to have gotten married at the White House. Grover Cleveland, back in the late 1800s, uh, got married in a ceremony at the White House. But the story is actually pretty scandalous. He was 48 at the time. His bride, Frances, was only 21 years old. He actually was quoted uh, in the years leading up to that, saying he's waiting for his uh, future wife to be of age to marry. There's a whole bunch of sketchiness and scandal related to the Grover Cleveland story, which I will save you from on this podcast. We probably need to do a separate episode on it. And we're going to end here with a bit of entertainment news. These latest numbers come to us from TheRap.com. The Black Panther sequel, Wakanda Forever, out of Marvel Studios, has jolted the box office to one of the best weekends of the year, earning just over $180 million in its first weekend launch domestically. But the movie was released globally in more than 50 countries where it made an additional $150 million. So officially for its first weekend launch, it appears that the uh, Ryan Coogler uh, Black Panther sequel uh, made at least $330 million. When you combine domestic and worldwide revenue, there have only been two other movies this year that have done better than the Black Panther sequel. That is Spider-Man No Way Home and Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Studios are amped for a big return to the theater this winter. A number of movies they're excited for that they expect many of us to be going to include Strange World, that's from Disney, the movie Devotion from Sony, and The Fablemans, which is a universal production. Okay, that'll do it for me today. Uh, I'll be with you tomorrow as well. And then Jill will be joining us Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday this week. I want to thank you for listening to the Mo News Daily Podcast. Please remember to subscribe or follow the show. It's very easy on whatever app you're listening to us on. It'll ensure you don't miss a single episode, especially on those days we release multiple episodes like last week. Please also take a moment, if you can, to review us in the App Store. I would really, really appreciate it. It helps us continue to grow the podcast. And if you're looking for constant updates 24-7, a reminder to follow me on Instagram at Moshe at M-O-S-H-E-H. I'll see everyone back here tomorrow.